You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Welcome back to Earth Station Trek, a show where we trek from the early days on NBC to the future on Paramount Plus and everywhere in between. I'm Charles Kelso, and it's my privilege to introduce the Earth Station Trek crew, Keith Johnson. Greetings. Alan Seiler. Hi, hi, Skipper. Dive, dive, dive. And Veronica <laughs> Daschel. Hi. And we have some This Week in Trek this week, Keith. Yeah, I'm going to run through a couple of quick ones because there was a whole bunch, and I just pulled out a couple that I thought were really relevant. Um, just going back, most of this is all birthdays. On the 22nd of May, 1939, I'm trying to think of a line from this. Oh, Your Majesty, have you been listening? I don't even know. And then, oh, this will this will give it away. Kill him. I try to do what you say, Your Majesty, but it is difficult. Kill him. Kill him. And then there's a scream and a phaser blast, and then and then check off screens and falls to the ground. That gives it away. <laughs> <laughs> well, we know it's not in season one. <laughs> right. What okay. Fake earwigs, earworms. Oh, is it Wrath of Khan? Yeah. And it's Captain Tyrell. Okay. Paul Winfield. Yeah. The late great Paul Winfield was born on 22nd of May, 1939. Nice. Yeah. He was from Darmok also. I was going to yeah. say, why didn't yes. you pull quotes from that? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, and Khan stuck in my head. I also, as a complete aside, saw him in a movie about Martin Luther King back in the, I think, mm. the 70s, 80s, where he was phenomenal. He was a yeah. really, really good actor. Yeah, definitely. Okay, yeah. one more. I don't have anything to really, um, to really bring this up, but I just thought it was important. The 23rd of May, 1921, was the birthday of one James Blish. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. yeah nice. Yeah. Yeah, and I read something. I didn't know this. They said that for the, the the stories that he wrote for literature, he adapted every single TOS episode except for Mud's Women, I Mud, Shore Leave, and The Children Shall Leave. And okay. he was working on the latter two, but then he died. And I think his his wife actually finished those novelizations. Mm. But that's pretty amazing. When you're talking about there's what seventy? How many? Seventy six? Seventy seven? Seventy nine? Seventy nine? Yeah. Yeah, I had a bunch of the Blish novelizations when I was a kid. I love the Blish novelizations. Me too. Oh, don't we still have a bunch of them? Yes. Yes. Yeah. We've been collecting them. All right. Just a couple of more here real quick. Um, Captain, even when he doesn't say it, he does. <laughs> uh, that's Edith Keeler. <laughs> that's it. Joan Collins. Yeah. Also, 23rd of May, 1933. Okay. Um, wow. Her, her two claims to fame, for those of us who are in the, in the genre, is... Edith Keeler, and for everybody else, she's probably Alexis Carrington from the from Dynasty. <laughs> yeah, I know it's Edith Keeler. <laughs> Me too, right? <laughs> wow. Twenty uh, fourth of May, nineteen sixty, and I really don't have a quote for this, so I'll just say it was uh, Saru. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Birthday to not one Doug Jones. I didn't know yeah. that he was. Um, I didn't know he's as old as he was. I guess I can't remember the last time. Honestly, I've seen him without makeup on. A lot. Yeah. Yeah. He's, yeah but in, he stays in excellent shape, though. Yes. He yeah. does not show his age. Right. No. Uh-uh. I thought he might have been in his 40s. I didn't know. That. Yeah. And I didn't know he'd been around that long. That's, that's, yeah. that's you know, pretty I, I, good. The first thing I remember seeing him in is um, Hocus Pocus. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's right. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's right. Okay, two more. The twenty seventh of May, nineteen thirty four, and this is this is no easy way to tell this without giving it away. But let's just say he didn't like the script adaptation of the story in which Edith Keeler was featured. <laughs> Harlan Ellison. Oh well, that can only Harlan. be. One. I mean, yeah. all you have to do is say not happy with the script adaptation. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's good point, Alan. He's pretty much always happy with everything. Unhappy with everything. Yeah, basically. <laughs> also on the 27th of May, just one year after him, was um, the birth date of, which one was she at? Oh, I am for you. Captain, there's a strange uh, woman, or uh, Mr. there's mm-hmm. a strange woman in engineering who knows everything about the Enterprise. Yep. Yep. Lee Merriweather. Lee Merriweather. Yeah. And that is, I think that's going to cover everybody. Also, this one last thing I want to say, I usually do deaths, but it was important. On the 27th of May, 1969, we lost Jeffrey Hunter. Okay, mm. yeah. Oh, Captain yeah. Pike. 
Wow. I don't know if you ever think about. Yeah, I don't know if you ever think about the weird things. Like you could you could spend your life going down these weird rabbit holes, but I always wonder if he had stayed with track, would he have been alive? Mm. Because if he had been on track, he wouldn't have been doing the movie where he had the weird accident. And then, as you probably know, he was he died really he died long after the accident because they didn't know how serious it was. He was basically bleeding and in, um, mm. yeah. damaging in his brain. And it's so weird because you don't know he could have still died. Things happen. It's just it always seems amazing that someone like Shatner, who's you know, 90 years old and Patrick Stewart, who's still going. Mm-hmm. And you always wonder if Jeffrey Hunter had taken a role, would he have still been alive? Or frankly, would he have done the movie on hiatus and unfortunately died anyway? So yeah, yeah. It's a weird thing. Wow. Yeah. And, on, and on that cheerful note, that is this week. In <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks for that. Yeah. We wanted to mention also, we went, uh, Veronica and I went last night to see Star Trek, the motion picture, the new, the new 4k version of the director's edition on the oh. big screen. And it was, I didn't know you guys were doing that. Phenomenal. Neat. I mean, oh man, I bet it was. I've seen wow. the theatrical edition several times mm-hmm. on the big screen. It's, and then the motion picture is such a big screen movie. Yeah, definitely. Um, and there yeah. are a few things I don't yes. care for. There's some few changes that, that they've made. But on the whole, I think they did a, a, a great job of just finally finishing the movie. We've talked about it before where the motion picture was famously released unfinished. They were they had pre-sold a hard deadline. They had problems with the effects company, with the Able company, and they had to basically mm. ship the work print with the special effects cut in to get it out there so that, to avoid a lawsuit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ah. They did the director's edition 20 years ago with Robert Wise, and he's passed away now. And now they've upgraded to 4K and they made some additional tightening of the script, uh, tightening of the film and things like that. And just things like just taking out the additional beats, adding the the audio elements that are supposed to be there that just make the scenes flow so much better, adding mm-hmm. little bits of special effect that just make move the story along. It's just such a better movie. And I love the motion picture anyway, but I thought it was just so great singing on the big screen. And I love this edition they've done. I'm so excited to see it. Yeah. I need to go see that. I'm glad you reminded me of that. Veronica, are you always a fan of the uh, motion picture? No. <laughs> no. Uh, are you a but fan are of you now? I, yeah. I, I, I enjoyed it. Yeah. Good. You were really impressed by Ker- Persis Kambada. Which one was that? Ilya. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, she was amazing. Like, Yeah, she definitely is. Just the little yeah. facial expressions she would do when you're yeah. like, she's just barely moving her face right between her eyebrows. And you, she was conveying so much in those yeah. little tiny movements. It was it was mind blowing. Mm-hmm. Agreed. And it's such a it's such a movie of its time too. Even the uniforms, the uniforms, even though yes. they're futuristic, they're such seventies kind of mod uniforms. You can see mm-hmm. that in Jay, uh, what is it, Logan's Run, and right. no, but they, they look like they look like yeah, Space nineteen ninety nine. That's what yeah. they look like to me. Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's very yeah. much a futuristic version of NASA version of Star Trek. Exactly. But, yeah, I just hey. wanted to mention that. And if you've not seen it, I recommend checking it on Paramount Plus. Uh, if you yeah. didn't get to see it in the theater, because it's 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 great. They did a great job. Hey. Improved sound, you said also? Yes, they they added a lot of sound elements that were recorded that weren't in the film. And Mm -hmm. so you get a lot of scenes in the motion picture where there's just no background audio. And it's just characters. It just makes the whole thing feel a little more stilted and a little slower than it even was. Um, But it just helps a lot. So I I recommend seeing it. I think they did a great job with it. Sounds That's awesome. So let's take a quick break to promote a fellow ESO Network podcast show. And then when we get back, we'll get into our discussion topic. So stay right there. There are a lot of great podcasts that review Doctor Who episodes in order. The Earth Station Who podcast is not one of them. Just like the Doctor, we never know where or when we'll end up, but we'll have a lot of fun talking about it. From classic Who to new series and big finish, join the Earth Station Who crew wherever fine podcasts are found. Earth Station Who is a founding member of the ESO Network. All right, so this week, uh, given the episode we just watched of, of Strange New Worlds that we'll be talking about in a few minutes, we wanted to talk about our favorite space battles in Star Trek, sort of what made them great, what we love about them, um, and what set them apart. And does, does anyone have one in mind they wanted to jump out with? Yeah. Oh, gosh, I, 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 I got to do the obvious one, but it's an honest answer. You know what uh-huh. I'm going to go, right? Yeah, I know. <laughs> You're probably going to take Balance. the one I was going to say. <laughs> Uh, I gotta do Balance of Terror. Alan, yes. if you wanna if you wanna do that, go right ahead because I can do another <laughs> one. Seriously. 
No, Balance of Terror is perfect. Yeah, that is. I'm a I'm a huge fan of World War II movies, and mm-hmm. I love um, submarine movies. Yeah, mm-hmm. and this, of course, is an absolute hunter killer submarine movie. As a matter of fact, it was brought. It was it was um, based on. Why am I blanking? Because I just watched the movie is last. It run time. silent, run deep. No, it was the other one. Um, it'll come to me. Okay, but um, that was that. It's a great episode for a whole bunch of reasons. It introduces the Romulans. Mm-hmm. It introduces the fact that Spock might be somehow related to the Romulans. It's yeah. one of the best Star Trek episodes, if you want to call it a quote-unquote Trekkie or Trek episode, because it talks about prejudice and racism. Mm-hmm. It's got phenomenal action. To this day, even though I think they toned the Romulans down, that freaking Romulan weapon that could travel at multi-warp <laughs> and destroy a base that the guy said was under the, the, the first outpost where the guy was killed, he said they were one mile deep yeah. on an asteroid of solid iron. And it blew them the smithereens. Mm-hmm. Um, the Romanins were amazing. The, the submarine battle analog was amazing. Okay, there was some weird stuff about you got to be real quiet because they might hear you. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's just an amazing show. And and 50 some odd, you know, going on four or five decades later, I still watch it. And it's an exciting show. I love mm-hmm. it. Yeah. It is. And it has little to do with the actual space battles, but it's a great episode mm-hmm. because it makes the Romulans who are essentially just a villain of the week, real yeah. characters mm-hmm. with, yes. with actual believable motivations. And that's the writing on that episode is so good. Yeah, it really is. They even give us some, um, one of the moments, it's one of the moments when Kirk and McCoy go in his quarters and Kirk says, he's basically confessing to bones that he's, he doubts himself. Yeah. And he yeah. even says, I look around that bridge, everyone looking at me, he says in bones, what if I guess wrong? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Just, yeah, just, that is, just that's such good writing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you have it. So the interweaving storylines on the Enterprise with mm-hmm. the young couple who is getting married, and you have yeah. Styles yeah. and his bigotry, and then Kirk yes. and his self doubt. And it's just, it's everything just weaves together so well. Yeah. Yes. And like you said, it's got that World War II feel. Yes. I mean, back when the original series was being made by people who actually fought in World War II. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's what I was going to say. It's so it, it's in its context mm-hmm. that that whole like World War II setting is something that was so recognizable and so vivid for the mm-hmm. audience at that time. Right. Yeah. And one, one two quick rule of things I think we discussed before. My understanding is that the cloaking device was invented as a cost savings feature because mm. um, they, they couldn't they didn't have a, they, they didn't have the resources to film the model as much as they wanted, especially in a battle. So they yeah. came up with a, the idea of a cloaking device, just like the transporter um, was a, was a safe, a cost savings feature. And the last thing I'll say about this episode I love so much is one of the things Roddenberry always did with the fast and light travel being limited was you're out there, you're on your own. And remember mm-hmm. how many times they would say it will be three weeks or something before we get a message from Starbase. And what I love about this is there's a scene where Kirk crosses the neutral zone, which could be an act of war. Mm-hmm. But we've got to stop them. And then after the entire events are over and Tomlinson is dead and all this stuff, and Kirk has made all the decisions, Uhura comes in and says, We got a message from Starfleet. They said they'll support whatever action you take. <laughs> right. And he, oh, gives yeah. this, and he gives this bitter smile at Spock and McCoy. I guess, well, great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it goes back to the Enterprise being way out there. Like it was up to yeah. Kirk. To figure out mm-hmm. what that you do. You can't just call and have a real-time conversation with base every time. He's got to make these big decisions. Right. I really liked the battle when um, they had to abandon DS9. Mm. Oh, man. Yeah. Yes. I think I think you can just stop at saying DS9. (laughs) I honestly don't think that any movie or any series has done space battles as well as DS9 did. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Particularly from seasons four to seven. Yeah. And especially the last two seasons. There are some and and a lot of that part of that has to do, they were still using a lot of model shots, but they were also moving into digital shots Mm -hmm. too. Mm -hmm. And you can do so much more with digital shots as far as like the fluidity of movement and the camera following a ship through other ships, you know, as it's trying to break through a line or whatever, just amazing. Mm -hmm. I feel like they were in just the right spot of still using models, but also pulling in with Mm -hmm. the digital and the CGI and merging them together. So it looks 
real, whereas yeah. a lot of the the pure CGI stuff just doesn't look well. They're having feel real. Yeah, they're having to match the the digital assets to the yep. to the models they've been doing all these years. Exactly. But then the the digital models gave them so many more options of of ships and angles and things that they could do. Yeah, uh, but, and like you're, you're like your your focus on one ship is flying in and shooting at another ship, and then all of a sudden. Like a third ship that's on fire just flies through the shot. <laughs> I mean, it's amazing <laughs> stuff. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. But which, what? I'm sorry, which episode is that one? I, I never get those. There's two. I can never get those names straight. The one no where idea. They, is this? Yeah, when they abandon the station, Veronica, is that the one when? Is that when Cisco leaves the station and he leaves his baseball behind? Yeah, yes. I have no idea what the episode is called. Yeah, because then they because because then the because that's the one with the next season starts with it's like mm-hmm. what six weeks or six months later and mm-hmm. they are just d- devastated. Yeah, yep. it's it's three months. So basically, yeah. the the summer break between seasons is like real time. <laughs> There's a three month uh, break between you know until the start of the next season. Right. And and you're right. It, they are on the run. They are ragtag yeah. at that point, and it's. It's so it's good to watch them back to back because you see that the the that that difference, like mm-hmm. how much difference that time has made, and yeah. it's so good. And Alan, you said something interesting about them flying through because the battle that comes later in the next season is when they retake the station. Yeah, that's when the that's when the um, the prophets take all the Dominion ships and move them elsewhere. <laughs> and that's that scene where they're in trouble. And there's the you remember there's the defiant. And then out of nowhere, in comes Worf and the fleet. And it looks like they come out of somebody's sunlight, yep. like they're coming out of the sun. They come in an yep. angle. Mm-hmm. And then when the Defiant gets away, there's a whole bunch of, there's like three or four Klingon ships behind it. And you see them zooming and they, one by one, they get destroyed. And of course, <laughs> only the Defiant comes out. I mean, just yeah. amazing. Yeah. And there was something that DS9 did so well, and I think really any mm-hmm. space battle. I mean, it's not just the technical aspect of composing the shots, but investing exactly. you in what's going on and investing right. you in the characters. Agreed. You know, like, knowing that they're having to abandon DS9 while you know half of the characters have to stay behind. Yes. Or yep. the fight to get the, the, the station back after you've been watching the, you know, the Dominion in charge of the station for all these six episodes or whatever. I mean, yep. it's it just it, it gets you so involved in it that you care what's going on. It's not just a bunch of pew pew and it's done really well, the pew pew. <laughs> but yeah, you, know, you, you care about the characters that are on these ships. Yeah. And, and I think jumping back a little bit to the beginning of season four, where uh, they're basically in reinforcing all the armaments on DS9 mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. fend off whatever, you know, this attack that is coming. The Klingons want the station and the Dominions on the way mm-hmm. and all this kind of stuff. And they're, and they're basically upping the arms. And mm-hmm. what a great, great scene that is. And, of course, they f- uh, filtered that into the title sequence. Right. You know, where all these new armaments that we've never seen before. And all of a sudden, rather than like a sitting target, DS9 has got teeth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And the addition of the Defiant is a big part of that as well. Oh, yeah. That it just makes them more mobile around that area and around the station. Yeah. And the Defiant yeah. was a very mobile ship. And I mean, it, fl- it flies more like a fighter than a lot of the Starship ships we've seen mm-hmm. before. Had. You know, the both of the Enterprise really are like, you know, big frigates or something, you know, mm-hmm. exactly. Very naval. Mm-hmm. But then all of a sudden you're mm-hmm. in the Defiant and you're zooming around ships, you know? Right. Yeah, it is awesome. And one quick thing about those battles you brought up, Veronica, we were talking about World War II. And again, I can't remember which ones it was. Remember they were having some problems with communications in the ship. So they ended up going throwback where they had NOG, basically relay communications from the bridge oh, down yeah. to engineering and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like you see in a, in a naval battle from World War II. Mm-hmm. I think it works really well when they do that throwback. It's yes, you know, it's, it's World War II, but it's also like Horatio Hornblower when they, yeah. they mix those that naval combat element in, and I think it works just really well. I mean, they did that in Wrath of Khan when mm-hmm. you know because Nicholas Meyer is a big Horatio Hornblower guy, mm-hmm. and that, that battle with Khan at the Butaro Nebula was very much like that, where it was um, like like two ships facing off, you know. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and that's exactly where I was going to go with this because mm-hmm. I think that uh, Wrath of Khan is it really kind of sets the template right. for everything that Star Trek does after that point, as far as like the way that you you're dealing with ships in space. Mm-hmm. Because you know, like the beginning of Next Gen, uh, you know they they were working with a whatever budget they had, and a lot of the space battles were two stationary ships just 
kind of sitting there and pew pewing at each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there wasn't any movement and there wasn't a lot of, you know, action. Right. Um, and so Wrath of Khan, even though uh, Next Gen didn't really get the opportunity until a quite a few seasons in to do the kind of space battles that Wrath of Khan set up, Wrath of Khan is where all that stuff starts. And I think that it most closely relates to the episode that we're going to be talking about mm. Uh, and the you know you're watching um, Memento Mori, and you're like, this is this is exactly like um, this is an updated version of what we saw in Wrath of Khan. It's that same cat and mouse, right? It's that same like you know, the, it's a space battle that doesn't rely on explosions and lasers. It relies on strategy and mm-hmm. tactics and thought, well and said. it's so good. Well said, yeah. yeah. And it's I mean, and it's really the two characters facing off as much as exactly. all the characters on the show. But I mean, ba- uh, balance of terror was that way. Wrath of Khan yes. was that way where nice. it's, it's a chess game between two very smart people yep. and they're having to, and they're making mistakes and they're making victories and, you know, you just get invested in watching them face off and outsmarting each other. You know, it's not just right. blowing things up and zooming around as fast as you can. Exactly. To dovetail on something you said about that's true about TNG for a while didn't get to have those kind of battles. Also, as, as uh, I think Charles is saying, the ship was big, so it didn't turn a lot. Mm-hmm. But one of my absolute favorite episodes of all time was Yesterday's Enterprise. Oh, of course. Mm-hmm. And yet the battle at the end has been called one of the longest, slowest battles. In history. <laughs> remember, yeah. like you see the wormhole, the yeah. vortex right there, and they're just going real slow and just boom, 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 boom. Like, yep. oh my gosh, it's taking a long time to get there because you're right, but they couldn't make it as a dynamic as they wanted to. I think I read mm. that they had some issues with that later on, yep. but, um, but it was still, also in the script, right? That they couldn't go to warp. They, they were only able to go as fast as they were going. Yeah. They were going so to, it was a whole, it was supposed to like ramp up the tension of, right. Are they going to get blown out of the sky <laughs> before they reach the, you know, the end point. Yeah. 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 I also love some of the stuff they did on Voyager with like Voyager and the Borg ship and the big, Borg, they did sort of bigger and bigger Borg environments as they went mm-hmm. along with like right. Unimatrixes and things like that. Right. But as they got into the digital realm of being able to create all these crazy things, and I think they did a great job of sort of integrating the Star Trek look into it. And, yeah. you know, doing these, yeah. these great shots of Voyager sort of facing off against Borg ships and Borg yes. fleets. And we were just last, last week talking about Scorpion a little bit. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just that, you know, you go from a model of a Borg ship and then all of a sudden you've got like bunches of Borg ships, you know what I yes. mean? You've got exploding things and, and stuff coming out of them. And, you know, you got the 8472 flying in. I think Voyager also did a, a really good job. They didn't have big fleets like the, the big Starfleet fleets like the mm-hmm. S9 did, but they had big fleets of like, you know, the, the Borg fleets and the big, like I said, the Borg, like Unimatrixes and things like that. Mm-hmm. Right. Agreed. Right. I also want to uh, hit enterprise Mm. and particularly season three and particularly like the last three or four episodes where the the zindi war is like reaching its climax and there it's it's pretty much all digital at that point but but i think there's some really amazing um space choreography like Mm. ship choreography that happens in those and it's i think it's just amazing i love watching those episodes and I get so caught up in it. I love Pew Pew. I mean, I really like the the cat and mouse thing, and I like the chess game of it, and I like the outthinking your enemy, but I also just want to see some ships blowing up. <laughs> yeah. What's that? I know you got, what's, what's the, uh, um, uh, what's that? Is it Vartok, that guy who sings about, that's not the guy. There's a guy who sings all those, those crazy Star Trek songs. Like the one he says, we just blow, we just make S-H-I-T up. You know that guy? I don't guy? know. Okay, I got to send you a link. You've got to hear this guy. He's amazing. Okay. But Alan, right. what you were saying about that made me think of that because when we're talking about that Enterprise stuff, also when they had those battles, the Zindi with this race of several different types of species. Right. You remember the aquari- the aqua- the, uh, uh, the Aquarians, the people Aquatics. The- Aquatics, their ships were big and amazing. They, yeah, they were like oceans. Yes, they were They were beautiful. enormous. And powerful, yes, they yes. were elegant. And then yeah. the insectoids hit these weird little bitty ships, and, <laughs> and then the reptilian. But 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 they, there was all these great battles going around, and it yeah. cum- culminated in an awesome scene, which unfortunately turned unfortunate. Was with the, the famous scene of Archer running through the sphere, 
mm. through the the weapon and it blew up. And all what Alan was saying, all those different battles and all that stuff, it was awesome and exciting. And it culminated in that. And then the next season, they were in World War II on Earth. So. <laughs> yeah, well, that's a whole other discussion. <laughs> right. Yeah. And but, I want to get to that at some point. On yeah. Our show. yeah. Yeah. But leading up to that, but, you're right. Amazing oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Really great. Yeah. One thing, I guess, the you know, I'm a big fan of, of models. But mm-hmm. I think one thing that mm-hmm. the, the, the digital stuff brought into it was that you just increasing the scale of it all. You know, yeah. it was no longer a ship and another ship right. and often pretty slow moving. But, mm-hmm. you know, you were able to have these, you know, fleets, you know, yeah. and alien ships and new alien ships every week instead of the same Tamarian cruiser for four <laughs> different aliens, you know what I mean? <laughs> Things like that. <laughs> right. Yes. And what's interesting is with the advancement in technology, and I think I've said this once before on our show, like maybe a year ago, I don't think that as much as like the end of season two of discovery mm-hmm. and the, the battles that we saw in Picard, I don't think any of them stack up to what DS nine did. Mm-mm. No, none of them. I mean, no. and you know, and the one at the end of season two of uh disco, I mean, just like, 800,000 ships and they're all pew pewing at each other like like crazy mm-hmm. and I just don't think it makes the same impact that no, DS9 did with their space battles. No. You just don't feel it. Yeah. yeah. No, you don't. You don't exactly right. Well, yeah, for one, there's just too many ships. Like there's two you right. You have 300 ships, well, I have 400 ships. You it's, know, and it, which <laughs> it, it doesn't make you feel it more, you know. But right, at the same I, time, I, I mean, I I had the same feeling watching the the last episode of season one of Picard when the Zheng He and that fleet showed up and they're all identical mm-hmm. that I that I had watching the the ultimate computer when I was a kid. When I was oh, like, yeah. oh we're gonna see a fleet of Starfleet ships. <laughs> and it was just the Enterprise four times. It's the same <laughs> shot of the Enterprise the other times, right. you know? But then the Shanghai showed up and like, oh, they're all the the same ship. You know, whereas right. the DS9 yeah. did a great job of you've got reliance and you've got um defiance and you yep. yeah, galaxy class and, and galaxies yeah yeah it makes it feel like it's a fleet and they did, they got back to that in, in picard season two when they brought in a, a lot of the old ships but also agreed. some new designs as well and so you have agreed. That, that diversity in the fleet it was a huge improvement in yes. in season two absolutely yeah um a quick honorable mention quebec gosh i'm doing it again it's deep space nine but <laughs> it's, you gotta go where the best is yeah. man yep. come on it's the series premiere of DS9 and the uh, the bit we see of the Battle of Wolf 359. Yeah. Because it was really good. It was, you know, we didn't see much in the next generation. I mean, they mm-hmm. showed some stuff, but that thing came off. Some people even said it was almost like a Star Wars opening. You know, they mm-hmm. gave you this background and then all of a sudden mm-hmm. you're you're there and ships are zooming by. And then there's the whole thing where uh, Jennifer Cisco dies and yeah. all that kind of stuff. That was another one that, wow. So this was that battle was like from somebody yeah. else's point of view. Yeah. And I, I want to mention as well that the opening of the 2009 Star Trek film mm. with oh. the, the big Romulan Narada ship that came through mm-hmm. and the USS yes. Kelvin. And, and again, what hooks you into it is the characters because mm-hmm. you've got, you know, George Kirk, you got his wife on the shuttle giving birth to their child while mm. he's, you know, flying on a suicide mission. To and, I mean, it's just, it pulls you right in. That's one of the best openings of a Star Trek movie I've seen. And that battle, mm-hmm. it's not even that great of like, like strategy and things like that. It's just that they're <laughs> so involved with the characters in mm-hmm. that little scene. You've never met them before, but it just pulls you right in. Oh, yeah. agreed. And yeah, you, and you really feel well it. When then. that ship explodes and he dies, you feel it. Right. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Well, let's take a quick break from a fellow ESO Network podcast show. And then when we come back, we'll be talking about the latest episode of Star Trek Strange New World. So stay right there. Okay, promo for the Flopcast. Let's go. First, I need an adjective. Uh, naked. You need a noun. Wombat. Place. Woonsocket, Rhode Island. Number. Uh, 251. Okay then, the Flopcast is a naked podcast about cartoons, music, comics, movies, and wombats. Find us on the ESO Network and Flopcast.net. Go ahead and listen to it in Woonsocket, Rhode Island. <laughs> 251 times. Spoilers! Woo, 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 woo! Wow. And that's spoilers for Star Trek Strange New Worlds, Episode 4, Memento Mori. 
And all right, so what do we think? We so far we've been loving Strange New Worlds every week. Are they are they maintaining? Heck yeah. Sucked. Yeah. <laughs> Suck. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Totally. <laughs> Boot off the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it was great. It was fantastic. I mean, they're they're knocking it out of the park with this show. Yeah. They oh are. my gosh. Yeah. Just incredible. I mean, by by the time they got to the point where that that line that you said at the beginning of the of our podcast, Alan. Like I, I skipper dive, dive, dive. And I was like, Oh my God, it's a real, like, like a, a submarine <laughs> exactly. battle in space. Like they used to do. I mean, I, right. I, I don't remember the, I mean, I grew up watching cl- classic sci-fi shows, like mm-hmm. the movies, like forbidden planet TV shows, like the twilight zone and star Trek. I yeah. haven't heard a mo- like a, a starship captain referred to as skipper since I right. was like one of those old shows. Like it's not how I ever expected it to happen, but yeah, I mean, it's just a genuine, like, old-fashioned, like, submarine battle in space, but done in a modern way. And I thought it was great. Yeah, yeah. The closest you got to that kind of language was um, Trip, although he was supposed to be a country boy, mm. calling Archer Captain C A P apostrophe N, which is right. an old one. That, but yeah, Skipper. You, know, I don't think we ever heard that. You're right. Yeah, I kind of like that. Um, I'm liking Ortegas. Mm-hmm. Her shtick is not getting on my nerves, and I was because I some I heard some people say, "Was that going to get old?" But so far, I'm liking it. Like she says, "Yeah, okay, fly into the, but fly into the gas giant that'll probably crush you, to crush you to death. Sure, why not? Black <laughs> hole? How big of a black hole?" <laughs> she's, I kind of like her. She's the best. Yep. she's my favorite okay. character. There's a reoccurring thing going through this episode where it seemed like every time Spock would say, "Like, well, we could do this, but we might die," and Pike would be like, "Great idea, let's do it." I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just thought it was great. Yes. That's, what I'm saying. That's not what I meant. <laughs> yeah. And I kept thinking a couple of times, good thing a Vulcan is a Vulcan, because a couple of times Lon was talking to Spock. I'm thinking a human might have said, you got a problem with me or something? Because, you know, <laughs> but, but of course she, and, and, and I love the scene later on, I'm jumping ahead, but she has, um, in some ways, she's worse than Spock. At least he's a Vulcan. But how <laughs> right. she talks to people, oh, we're pro- this is going to fail. So just prepare to die. <laughs> and Pike's kind of like, uh, uh, if you sound just a little bit more op- yeah. optimistic, well, I'm not going to lie to him. Like, look, you're a commander. You can't just tell, or, you know, you're a command staff. You can't just say, oh, it's, this is probably going to fail. We're probably going to die. Prepare for death. Yeah. Uh, so I like, but I like that character trait in her. And, yeah. and it actually makes sense given what she's been through that she's that way. Yeah. So memento mori is a Latin phrase that means remember that you die. Mm-hmm. Basically, mm. remember that death is inevitable, right. mm-hmm. and I think that uh, that ties in with her character trait, uh, uh, yeah. uh, her character arc that we've seen so far. Right, where she, she, in her mind, she's the only survivor of that Gorn attack, mm-hmm. yeah, because she was the only one who thought, you know, that death is a possibility. Mm. You know, that she, that you can die, but you could also live. And I think that th- it sort of set the tone for that. This whole episode, there's there's a there's a theme in this episode of sacrifice. Mm. And it's used to sort of like illustrate the differences between the Gorn and quote unquote us. Mm-hmm. So the Gorn sacrificed colonists to set a trap for any other ship passing by. So enterprise comes in and they're you know basically baited with this colony ship they later sacrifice one of their own ships to to set another trap so they're just throwing lives away Mm -hmm. meanwhile on the us side (laughs) you have uh una who gives up the only plasma available on the ship to a crew member Mm -hmm. to save someone else's life you have um riley and his buddy are uh you know, he stops to help his friend to escape the lower decks that are being sealed off. The, the, they can't make it. So the other guy sacrifices himself to save Riley. So what we're seeing is the difference of mindset, mm-hmm. the difference of how these two different opposing sides see death and how death, like what it means to them. Mm. Yeah. One thing about La'an, because as you're, as you're saying, she keeps always saying, basically, she's always, she's basically prepared for death. And you're right. You prepare for death. It's almost like she's saying you get over the fear of death. Then, of course, maybe, maybe you can survive it. What she kind of reminds me of with her attitude is back to the S9. Remember the Jim Hadar, what they would say before they go into battle sometimes? Mm-hmm. <laughs> we are dead. We are, you are, we are already dead. And that's, there's that one famous one. Then uh, O'Brien goes, my name is Charles Evan O'Brien and I'm very much alive and I plan to stay that way. That's right. <laughs> that's right. Exactly. Yeah. And when the, uh, and when the Jim Hadar had said that, the, um, was it that, that way says something like, 
such a serious people. I mean, oh, brother. <laughs> and she kind of has that attitude where and that's where uh, I like that. Um, I like that Pike is kind of say, hey, you need to don't be as fatalistic. I mean, you'll be realistic. But she actually makes Fox seem cheery. <laughs> well, and Pike made a good point to her, too. I mean, she's mm-hmm. learning about command. That's been, I mean, we're yeah, only yeah. four episodes in, but it's been a reoccurring thing with her character. She's been the number one in two of the four episodes so far. Yeah. yeah. But the, he, you've got to give people hope. Like, if they don't Absolutely. believe a miracle is going to happen, they're not going to make one happen for you. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Right. Um, jumping all the way ahead to the end, I wrote, um, really have problems with the Gorn being introduced in this continent and this time, but I'm really loving the episode. So. Yeah. Uh, they 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 have wiggle room. They're mm-hmm. they're jumping in yeah. gaps. We talked about it before because I think everybody assumed that when they first heard of the Gorn in the arena, that was the first time anybody heard of the Gorn. Mm-hmm. But if you look at the episode when the Metron yeah. says the Gorn, Kirk and Spock show surprise. Mm-hmm. And of course, the understanding back then, one hundred percent, was they never heard that name before, and they never heard of that race before. But of course, the way they're setting it up now, it could be the Gorn. In our space, because they made a very big point of saying they had never come to Federation space. Before. Yes, exactly. They're 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 treading in new hunting territories. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So this is like the beginning of the Gorn's encroachment into mm-hmm. our space, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And another thing in Arena Two, they had um, you know Spock was our Kirk was asking Spock, "What do we know about this region of space?" And Spock was like, "Nothing concrete, uh, more like space legends." You know, so there, I mean, there's there's there were yeah. already were sort of mysterious stories about that region of space, and I think that they're. That's right. I, I would love to see the Gorn, and I, I I was willing to just cut them a benefit of a doubt if they just wanted to bring the Gorn right in. <laughs> but the way they're doing it, I mean, we're not seeing the Gorn. I mean, Laon made the point in this episode that lots of people have seen the Gorn, they just haven't survived to tell you about it, mm-hmm. which right. gives them wiggle room. They want to if they want to show the Gorn on the show, just have them eat whoever they, whoever sees them. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But the other thing is that all the information that we're getting about the Gorn is coming from La'an, mm-hmm. right. the only person that we know of who's ever survived a Gorn attack. Right. So, of course, her perspective is skewed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Of yeah. course, she sees them as monsters because she has seen death at their hands, mm-hmm. you know. So, you know, it's very possible that, you know, and the thing that I really loved about that was her take on Star Trek philosophy or Starfleet philosophy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you get to know someone, you can make them your friend. Well, that's not true because the Gorn are evil. They're monsters. And I think it's so interesting that she has that sort of personal belief, at least about this one species mm-hmm. that doesn't hold up against uh, Starfleet philosophy. And, and I think that's going to make a really interesting like character art for her where she may if the Gorn are going to be recurring, that that's going to put her at odds with, you know, Starfleet teachings. And I think that's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. They also open up a, they open up a very interesting Star Trek potential dilemma, which is that Star Trek has always, has always, I think has pretty much always said that no species is pure evil. Mm-hmm. At some point in time, you can always find some good in them. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I keep quoting this, but the Kiva Goldsman, I read, I read another interview with him. He is still saying that, the Gorn are monsters, they're evil, and there is no sympathy for him. That's a very interesting Star Trek thing to take where you're trying to say a race is completely irredeemable. Mm. Not saying it's wrong, it's just a very interesting take. And I would assume, given that we've got a gap between this show and the original arena with Kirk, then at no time during the Strange New Worlds run, can we show that the Gorn have any kind of redeeming qualities unless you somehow meet like a good Gorn that gets killed. Or yeah. Something I don't like know. That. I mean, but, you know, yeah, yeah, they, they, we could get hints, you know, they've got some room to play there. And I, I, mm-hmm. I like that they're setting them up that way, knowing that they're going to disprove that in arena, you know, that 10 years in the future, we're, mm-hmm. yeah, we'll find that they're, we're maybe we're wrong about them. Maybe we right. didn't understand. So I think they've, I think it's fine. If, if now they decide that no, everyone are all of our encounters with the Gorn are going to be that they're pure evil and they're unstoppable mm-hmm. because then that preserves that revelation that Kirk has in arena. But at yeah. the same time, if they want to make hints at it along the way, I think that's fine too. Yeah. I really loved that the Gorn were like very smart and tricky. Like they're luring yeah. you into traps and lying in yes. wait, like trap after trap. Cause that's what they did in arena. They, I mean, they yeah, first off right. they came in and they just annihilated that colony without a word, men, women, yeah. children, everybody. And yeah. then they, they lured in the enterprise and tricked them down there. Yeah. I had the thought today, like, which is saying something that I can look at an episode that I've loved my entire life in a different way. You know, when, when 
they had that battle with the Gorn, and then the Gorn ship just takes off, and the Enterprise mm-hmm. is ch- in hot pursuit right after, yeah. faster mm-hmm. and faster and faster. And then after I watched this episode today, I was like, you know what? Until the Metron stepped in, I bet the Gorn were leading Kirk into a trap. Uh-huh. Yeah. They were they were goading him because that would be totally consistent with the way they had trapped them on Cestus Three. And I bet yes. that. I mean, the Metrons probably saved Kirk's life by ha- by making him slow down and realize that the Gorn weren't for evil and maybe he shouldn't be in this hot pursuit and ready to kill because he, I mean, maybe he was about to be killed. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. That's because, a great point. Yeah. Yeah. Because you can't tell, it seems that it looks like the Gorn technology is at least as equal to Starfleet's because mm-hmm. you remember in that episode, Scotty said they may be faster than us mm-hmm. and they weren't, he wasn't gaining on them meaningfully. Right. So you're right. They were they were just far enough ahead. But can remember he went to warp six, warp seven. I think he even went to warp eight. And you know, it was one of those he said, go warp eight. And then, oh, then you know, they played a dong, a whole random <laughs> bridge looks like, oh my God. It was uh, it was such a great, a great thing. Oh, but yeah. um the, the the ships were interesting. Yeah. The they were really interesting. I couldn't really make heads or tails what they were supposed to look like. And I heard that's what that was the idea. Yeah. I like how that they move the way they move through space is different than what we're used to. They sort yeah. of spin their way through space and they have that sort of mm-hmm. pronged look to them. Uh, mm-hmm. I thought they were neat though. They're very alien looking. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Agreed. I really liked all of the stories mm-hmm. that were going on and how they were having this giant space battle, but there was interpersonal stories going mm-hmm. on that were pulling from past episodes and giving you new information. Um, about characters and further expanding characters in addition to the pew pew battle. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> yeah. One of the things I thought they did well, I don't know if y'all remember, but there was an episode of TNG is when Dr. Pulaski was there. And I can't remember, gosh, I should remember there was there was they were have there was something going on in the ship where a whole bunch of people were injured. And there's this really weird scene where Pulaski is having to tell one of her male nurses or orderlies to splint a man's arm because he said the bone knitter is broken, right? Yeah. Mm. And then here's the thing that that amazed me. She says a splint, and the guy literally says a what? Yep. <laughs> As if they're so advanced. And then she literally says a splint. You take a p- two pieces of wood and you do blah blah blah. And the guy goes, "That's not practicing medicine." And I'll never get. And she she tells him, "Go ahead and do it." Well, they were trying to say they're so far advanced that guy who works in the medical field doesn't remember how to do a splint, right? Yeah. And then she tells him, go try and do it anyway. I right. said that because I thought that they did a much better job this time when they lost their supplies and all their bone knitters and wound knitters. <laughs> and they were old fashioned needle and thread. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't like, oh, I've never done this before. But he says something like, you know, you want to practice your anthral something. Or what was it? Something I thought he said archaeological. Archaeological medicine. Yeah. 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 But it's not like she said, I've never heard of that before. And she didn't even protest. Next thing you know, they're sewing people up. I thought that was really cool. I uh, did too. Yeah, because He's sometimes. Like, how, how, how are you at sewing? <laughs> Luckily. Yeah. It, it, it sounded more like a question almost when she said it. Yeah, well, that's true. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Aces. But yeah, what choice do you have? Yeah. One thing I love about this being like a, an old fashioned, not old fashioned, but it's sort of in the sense that it's an ensemble show. Is mm-hmm. that you have yeah you, know, you focus on different characters each week, but also right. just that the, you can pair up different characters each. Yes. Week. And this yes. week we got Uhura and Hemmer paired together, which yeah. I thought was great. I thought they were were great together. And I love agreed. I mean, we know that Uhura is more of an engineering role on the original series. I've talked about that before, yeah. but her yeah. sort of finding that on that show. Yes. Uh, I mean, it seemed like she's sort of finding that's her niche that she that, that ties in well with what she enjoys to do is something that she's good at. And, and that, I remember you talking about that before mm-hmm. the show started. Yes. And, and you know, talking about, you know, they don't make her just a linguist yes. because she was more of a technician. Yeah. And, and we were saying, well, th- you know, maybe she's both. Mm-hmm. And I was so excited when we saw this episode and we saw the origin of her, like moving into that area and finding right. her path. And, yeah. and I was like, that's exactly what Chuck was talking about. Yeah. I mean, it, that, and I think that's great. I think that. Yeah. That that perfectly suits her character, yeah. and I thought they had a really great dynamic together. They definitely, yeah. He is so smarmy and uh, <laughs> sarcastic, and, and and she seems to have like almost total photographic recall. Mm. So when she starts doing, he's like, okay. And then, but then him being him, he still gets a little thing as like, oh, you're not trying to ingratiate yourself to me or something. He says something <laughs> like that, but. Right. Later on, I thought it was it was pretty cool. And Charles, to your point about um, Uhura, you're right. I always I forget the episode. 
But remember the episode in the original series that she was up under the console with like mm-hmm. that laser that yes. laser tool, yep. and she was telling Spock, "This is very delicate work." And he said, "I yep. can think of no one better qualified to do it." Right. You're right. Yep. That's the Uhura we got there. That, well, and that's the Uhura I would like to have seen more of on the original yeah. series. Yes, agreed. I agree with that too. So yeah, I want to I want to talk real quick about Hemmer because so far. You know, he wasn't really in the first episode. In the mm-hmm. second and third episodes, really all we saw was the the gruff sort of Odo-ish character right. who is a super genius and sort of lords it over the yeah. other characters and knows he's a genius and <laughs> all that stuff. And I just haven't felt like he was very much of a character. Like, mm-hmm. he just seemed kind of two-dimensional. But I feel like we got a real hook into who he is in this episode when uh, he and Uhura are talking and there were two lines that I thought really gave us what's going to become maybe a good art for him. The first one about him being a pacifist. Mm. The first one is, I will not fight for Starfleet, but I will defend its ideals. Mm-hmm. And the second one is, pacifism is not passivity. It's the active protection of life. Mm. And I thought that was so interesting. Yeah. So like, like with uh, La'an may possibly being at odds with her philosophy of the Gorn being different than Starfleet's philosophy of first contact, this puts him at odds with, in a sense, with uh, what Starfleet might have to do or might ask him to do. But as long as he thinks of it in a certain way, as long as he thinks of it as, I, I have to fight because I am protecting life. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's going to put him in some really interesting moral dilemmas that I'm looking forward to seeing fleshed out some more. Yeah. I mean, Spock had that sometimes too, but not yeah. probably to the yeah. same extent, but that there were times when Kirk would turn to Spock and say, Mr. Spock, we may be expected to kill Yeah, because he's not so, and Spock would you know do what he had to do, but exactly. that wasn't something they really like delved into that deeply with Spock. So I would love to see what, it, I mean, what does it mean to be on a starship? And these, you know, your crew crewmates are, de- are depending on you to help to keep them alive, right? If you're not prepared to kill someone, if you have to. I also yeah. want to see, um, you know, uh, debriefing missions or, or sessions, or mm. like uh, the captain calling his his specialist in for a conference, and him being the one to argue, like Crusher used to do. She yeah. would always be the one who would argue for preserving life. Mm-hmm rather than military tactics or yeah. whatever. And I've, I'm wanting to see him in that role too. Yeah. Or Bones. Bones would do that too. Bon- yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, you wonder if there's going to be an episode where he's going to find himself in a situation where he's going to have to do something like something as simple as take a hand phaser and shoot somebody. Right. Or, right. Or kill somebody. Because in, in the series Enterprise, when his people were first introduced, that was, and spoilers for those who haven't seen it, that was the thing the people we know later on with the Romulans had taken one of them and were using his telepathic abilities. And it was revolting to them to use mm. any of their abilities to harm other beings. Right. And that was one of the things they established there. So, yeah, this will be very interesting to see what, where they go with that with him. Yeah. Yeah. I, I hope we see some Andorians too, because it's it's so interesting to me the dichotomy between these two races. The Andorians are more aggressive and more warlike, and the yeah. Enar are pacifists. Right. And they exist together as related species on the same planet. And I'm mm-hmm. I would like to see that explored a bit more. That'd be amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah. And then something else I've noticed. I mean, we're we're we've got four episodes so far. Yep. And Una has been sidelined in two of them. Yes. <laughs> so I was wondering if, I mean, maybe Rebecca Romaine could only commit a certain number of filming days in Canada or something, because I mean, she was hardly in episode one. She yeah. was, you know, in a bio bed in this episode. Um, so I hope this isn't going to be a recurring thing. I'd like to see more of her. Yeah. I don't want to Travis Mayweather her. No, no, no. It can't be that bad. <laughs> um, because even, even Riley is getting more significant material than, then Mayweather got Kyle. Oh. Kyle, sorry. Yep. I said that wrong. Um, and now I lost what I was just going to say. About her <laughs> not being sidelined all the time. Oh, yeah. See, I didn't see it as in this one, at least, as her being sidelined. I saw it as um, it, it was more of a, of, of a, like it, it was a different, but more of a character moment for her where she, I mean, basically has been shot up. And she is determined to keep going until she drops. Mm. She tells people that she's fine because she doesn't want to. She wants to stay in her position. She doesn't want to 
be a burden on an overtaxed medical facility. Right. And, you know, and it also puts her in that position of you need plasma because of this thing that's going to happen. And she's like, okay, give me the plasma. And then somebody else needs it. And she says, no, mm. do not give it to me. That's an order. Give it to that person. Yeah. And so I don't see it as being her being sidelined. I, I see it as putting her in a situation that shows you more of who she is. Mm. Well, I hope you're right. I would like to see more of her though. Just being Pike's number one. Agreed. You know? Agreed. Like, Agreed. She should be there. Like Spock was when Kirk was in a big battle, like at his, you know, giving him advice, maybe agreeing, maybe disagreeing with what he's doing. You know what I mean? Like to being an active participant in the goings on of the ship. Right. Yeah. But I also think it was important to put Laon back in the number one position in this episode. So in a sense, I guess she kind of had to be sidelined or she kind of had to be put in a position where she wasn't in that role so that Laon could be put in that role. I, I halfway that. expected her to start glowing and heal herself, but then I guess yeah. that's yeah, fighting I disease. Yeah. <laughs> I have a weird question, which I thought about. If Mabinga is chief medical officer, what is he doing on the Enterprise under Kirk's command? Is he well, visiting, maybe? I don't know. Maybe they well, found out he's got his kid in the pattern buffer. Exactly. Does he get demoted? Yeah. Because McCoy is chief medical officer. So why is yeah. he still on the Enterprise in two episodes? I wonder. I guess I have, have no to idea. Say, I guess we'll assume he was like visiting, you know. I don't yeah, know. Maybe you yeah, for conference, he just happens to be there. I also thought it was interesting. They didn't say it, but given what um based what you just said, Charles, is we now know that his daughter's life depends on a power supply from the engines at all times. Mm -hmm. And they made a big point how all the systems were pretty much failing. And I remember thinking, except for that one power tap that they that they swore mm -hmm. they'd always keep him with the yeah. engine. And you know that's got to come back up one day. Yeah. Yeah. So where is sick bay positioned on the ship? Because it surprises me that it could take a direct hit from enemy fire. Secondary hole, right? Well, I, I think it used to be in the primary hole, but doesn't it have windows now? Or am I misremembering that? Oh, Is I it, oh, I don't know. Maybe it maybe it doesn't. I don't remember. I can't remember. I just remember in um the original series, um, Elaine of Troy, as Kirk said, sick bay was in the most was in the best protected part of the ship. It, and okay. you would think that it would be. Right. Yeah. Well, I don't know if next to the you know any matter reactor would be the best protection part of the ship. <laughs> Definitely you, you not. expect it, it to be in a saucer. So if they have to separate the saucers, yes. their lifeboat, right? Yes. So sick you would bay expect would the sick bay would yeah. be in the, in the saucer somewhere. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. So I don't know. So I don't know. I just thought that was weird. Yeah. Cargo bay. I can see taking the direct hit, but sure, sick yeah. bay seemed like kind of weird. Yeah. Yeah. I thought so as too. What are y'all thinking about uh, Nurse Chapel? I'm actually liking her. I love, say this every week. She's love, different. love, love her. Yes, me yes. too. I love yeah. her. We've we've been pretty glowing about this episode, so I wanted to get into a little bit of what we didn't like about this episode, if anything. Okay. Um, Nothing. But well, I'll say <laughs> I thought the Gorn Morse code was pretty silly. Uh, the fact yeah. that they're, they're communicating with flashing lights at each other from spaceships is pretty silly. But also, <laughs> the the her brother had decoded the Gorn yeah. code, and it was in. Out the alphabet, A, B, C, like the Gorner spelling out words how, in English. And I thought so too. How could he possibly, A, have deciphered that? Right. Like how, what context does he have yeah. for, for forming his, you know, result? I just don't, right. I didn't understand that. Yeah. It had to have been done quickly. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And truth be told, given the technology they have, you're right. He wouldn't have to written down this book. He could use honestly some aspect of the universal translator to decode, because I'm sure it could be set or even with a tricorder to decode flashes as well as language. So you're right. Cause he had a whole little book. It's always like, you know, he'd been stranded on a desert Island and had time to write a little book. <laughs> <laughs> well, he was you're right. from the Gorn. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. and the, the Gorn are communicating in English. And like I said, on spaceships are flashing lights at each other to communicate, which all yeah. of that just seemed pretty silly to me. See, I didn't yeah. mind the flashing light thing. I thought it was actually kind of cool in that it was an approach that we hadn't seen before. Sure. Whether it makes sense or not, or whether it's, you know, I mean, you would think you'd want something that would work over a longer distance than flashing light that's would work. Very but true. also where like the enemy couldn't watch you. <laughs> you yes. know, flashing well, sure, but, yes. but if they're, if they're actually sending transmissions, transmissions can be intersected. So you okay. are intercepted. I'm sorry. So you're, I guess they're realizing, or they're like kind of like hanging their, their thing on not being able to translate not being able to decipher what it is that they're they're doing. Well, they need to stop talking in English then. 
<laughs> <That's>, <laughs> that, very true. I also thought it was funny that uh, Laon asked Spock, do you ever speak in plain English? <laughs> no, he speaks in plain Vulcan and the U- UT is doing the work for him. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Even though it worked, I thought that, um, and it was fine. It didn't break the show for me. I thought that piling on the fact that the black hole was pretty much breaking up the brown door when they happened to be there was a little much yeah, because that was well-timed. Yeah. Black right. holes can last for a million <laughs> years. They're like, Oh, we got to get this going. So I thought that was, that was wild. Yeah. Um, yeah. Of course the day, the day they were having, that would be just their luck. You yeah. know, it's been here for a million right. years, and today's the day it falls apart. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm right. gonna, I'm gonna go ahead and do this. I, I debated saying this and opening myself up for the "Here you go again," but <laughs> there, there, there was a rare mistake when Spock said that an object falling to a black hole falls faster than the red light coming out. Okay, that ain't true. No. No, the speed of light is the speed of light. It just, it just stretches it out to make it. So he said that it was the ship falls in faster than the light climbs out. Mm. That's not true. It just gets stretched, which is why it turns red. Okay. Anyway, I, it, it was just an odd little thing. <laughs> I thought. Awesome. And, I, and, I, and a personal pet peeve for the guy who doesn't love the Abrams verse. Charles, you talk about those ships. I wrote down, oh my God, not more of these little spinny, twirly ships that we've had. <laughs> since Fox little, I really hate that. I hate okay. that aesthetic. It's just not a track aesthetic for me. And I, I don't want to be that. This is not track. It just, they just don't work for me, but it, yeah. it's, it's fine. Cause then I saw the big bo- <laughs> uh, Gorn ships and I thought, wow, those are different. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so there's, there's two aspects that we haven't talked about yet that okay. I really want to get to if we have time. And the first one is the mind meld. Ah, mm-hmm. yes. And seeing that little bit of Laon's backstory. Yeah. Yeah. What was your reaction to that? My first thought was that I believe Spock said in Dagger of the Mind he'd never mind meddled with a human before. So right. I'm going to yes. let that go. I'm going to let that go. Yes. They, got, they got a lot yeah. of seasons with Stock, Spock they're planning to do. I'm sure he's going to mind meld with more people. Exactly. But, um, I mean, I did like using the mind meld to see more of her backstory. I, I mean, I think that the kids that were playing, the kids were great. Yeah. Um, I think it's it's really interesting that I was expecting her, like the, the con thing to be her thing. And mm-hmm. the Gorn thing has been more her thing than the Khan thing even was in the first four episodes. Yeah. Agreed. Like, she's more defined by this experience with the Gorn than the fact that she is also was bullied because she was related to Khan. Yeah. Did you so, notice that she was Noonien seeing again this week? Yes. 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 Like, what yes. are they doing with this name? I don't get it. I don't know. Last <laughs> week we were just talking about how they changed her name to Noonien and even re-edited the it, recap. Yes. And then this right. week they're like Noonien Singh. Like, well, all right. Yeah. Well, whatever. <laughs> Hey, can we, uh, since she survived, but she did survive, was the understanding she knows what a Gorn looks like? Yeah, she does. Okay. I think she can't remember well, what a Gorn looks like. It, it, oh, okay. And I don't That's think it. she probably saw it clearly. Right? Okay. Because, okay. and the and the way that she recognized, and the little girl didn't see it clearly, the way she recognized what it was, was by the little girl making the clicking noises. The clicking, mm. Okay. So that's how they will hold, kind of like what Enterprise yeah. did with the Romulans. That's how they will hold on to maybe no one's ever really seen right. it fully or knows about it. Right. And I agree with you, Charles. And I, this is, I think, going to be an ongoing complaint of mine, which is some of the canon and continuity breaking that they do, it irritates me only because I feel that they say, this is cool, so let's just plug it in here because it's cool. <laughs> and I really think you need to try a little bit more to stay to establish continuity. It's not a problem. But I agree with you about the mind mill because I'm like, you don't, just because mind mill is cool, I wish you would leave it where it was first introduced. That's my personal mm-hmm. opinion. But that being said, I also thought it was cool because you rarely see this. They did something you rarely see. She saw some of yeah. Spock's mind. Mm-hmm. And you yep. never get that in mind melds. It's always yeah. the Vulcan pulling stuff, but you ne- but they always say we're one because right. Vulcan mind melds are not like Betazoid telepathy. It's completely right. different. Betazoids mm-hmm. just read your mind. Vulcans have to meld with you. You're right. one. But we never get the other person getting anything out. So I thought it was cool that she felt Spock's sadness over Burnham. Oh, yeah. Was, and Okay, so what it reminded me of was uh, in Doctor Who, in the modern series, in season two, they mm-hmm. gave David Tennant sort of like had a mind meld with um, Madame de Pompadour. And she mm-hmm. sees some of his mind as well. Yes. And and right. she's like, a door that is once opened can be walked through from either direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's exactly what I was thinking of when we saw her seeing some of the, the Michael Burnham stuff. And I thought that was a really cool touch. Yeah, I yeah. did like it when they did it with the doctor because he's never mind melded before, and I thought it was stupid. But for this, <laughs> I like. He should at least say contact. Correct. Contact. Yeah. Come on, people. And also, 
Also, that scene was very interesting because La'an, again, she speaks what she says what's on her mind, and she calls out basically Spock's emotional response. And then if you notice, there was almost a coldness to Spock mm. um, yep. when she mentioned Burnham because that was not something that he wanted anybody right. to do. Yeah. He was like, that's exactly. enough of this. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. But also, earlier yeah. in the episode, she was talking about how she prefers to go through life with no emotion. You know, mm-hmm. because of the pain from her past and all this kind of stuff, it's easier to close it off, to have no emotion, to not have an expression. And I thought that was such an interesting touch for a non-Vulcan character to be saying that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do too. Yeah, and, bef- too. and before we close up, I wanted to give a, another shout out to the just the, the sound design on the ship. And I mentioned uh, I mentioned a few times, I think, that the little beeps and boops, they just do such yeah. a great mm-hmm. job of making them evocative of Agreed. the original series. But then that, that sonar ping this oh. week, it just set the mood yes. so well. And it felt so TOS, yes. but also so like, it, it gave you that feeling of we're on a submarine. Yes. <laughs> and instead yeah. of, you know, explosions coming out and then and jets of flame coming right. out of the walls you get the cr- the creaks of the ship as they're moving and it's groaning right. and yeah. i just love that and also i love that i love the whole bit where they're like we can't survive this and he's like the enterprise is going to hold together i just believe it and it's another one of those like asking for a yep. miracle but it also it, it makes the enterprise a character on the show and more than just yeah. the vehicle that they're in, which it always was on the original series. Yes. I just love that. Like, no, you know, if, if all else fails, the enterprise is going to hold together. I'm, I'm very glad you brought that up because the other point that we hadn't got to yet that I really wanted to make, and I know we're running out of time and I'll be quick is Pike himself. Um, because in this episode, we saw him call out Laon for being so brutally negative and realistic that she has to learn that the other side of that is to give people hope. So we see a Pike right. who like refuses to give up. He refuses to not give hope to his people. He refuses to not believe in his ship, the physical structure of the ship. And we see him always thinking and inspiring his people to be creative. And we there, there has to be another solution. We have to find it. And what it made me right. think of was in disco season two when he finds out he asks cornwell why was the enterprise sidelined why were we kept out of the fighting is it something about me do you not trust me do you not trust my ship you know do you is there something wrong that we did that you kept us out of the action and she said no it's precisely the opposite if we were to have lost the war with the klingons you were kept separate because you are our last best hope. You are Mm. what's best about Starfleet. And we had to protect that because it's you and your ideals, your core beliefs. That is what Starfleet is, what is all about. And that's Mm. exactly the captain that we had this week in this episode. He's just an inspirational character. And it's it's someone that you would want to follow. Right. Uh, Yeah. I just think they're doing a great job with it. Yeah. One of the things I'm having trouble with is him knowing his fate. And it occurred to me today that he knows he's not going to die for at least. That's true. So he, he knows he, he knows he's going to live for 10 years before he gets in a wheelchair. So to me, it takes away some of the agency because he, he knows they're going to survive or at least he Mm. will. Anyway, that's that. That that was kind of a weird thing to me. Yeah. So that's the reason I don't like that because I just don't like the fact he knows his fate is coming. Okay. But. My quibbles about some of the Abrams first touches and some of the continuity changes aside, again, it's just, it's a really, it was a solid show. And I really, I hate to use this term, but I really felt like I was watching Star Trek because I don't want to be <laughs> right. the guy to say it's not Trek. <laughs> I know. So I really enjoyed it. <laughs> but this is Trek. That's what you're right. saying. Yeah. And it's all Trek, honestly. I, it, everything is Trek. Yeah. Everything is Trek. I, I really believe that. All right. Alan, where can people find more of you? Well, I've got another podcast that I do on this very network on the ESO network, and it is called Modern Musicology. And uh, you can find us on Podbean and Spotify and iTunes and iHeartRadio and all the other great podcast sources. And you can find my little publishing company at CosmicPress.com or on Facebook or Twitter. All right. And how about you, Keith? You can find me on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. Wait, can we find you on Facebook now? I'm trying, Keith. <laughs> kind of, sort of. <laughs> I've been looking, Keith. Well, yeah. <laughs> you must be hiding in Hopefully the brown dwarf of Facebook. 
I am still trying. Uh, it's been a, it's been a heck of a battle for that. Well, we hope you win. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and how about us, Veronica? Feltnerdy.com. And? Monkeying Around, a new podcast about the monkeys. That's right. And do you have a closing for us this week? No. Okay, well then. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we'll just close without it. How about, aye, aye, skipper, dive, dive, dive. <laughs> okay, okay. Aye, aye, skipper, dive, dive, dive. Good job. Thanks. Thank you for listening to Earth Station Trek. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Give us a positive rating. You can also send us feedback at earthstationtrek at gmail.com. You can join in the fun on our Facebook group or follow us on Twitter. You can also visit us online at earthstationtrek.podbean.com. We'll see you next time. Live long and prosper. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.